Welcome to the Mega Man's podcast with your host, Steven Martinez, aka Mega Man. This will be episode 60. I have a very, very special guest, Nea Chavez. I mean, she's a local native in the Long Beach LBC community. Uh, she likes science, she's a feminist, art, immigrant, writer, photographer, and did I say it? What, what am I forgetting? <laughs> I, no. That's pretty much everything, huh? Yeah, and I have ADHD too, so I might have spaced out for like. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, I thank you. Um, I, I I really really uh, wanted you on my podcast. I look at your social media. You're just it's all it's, it's nothing but love. Like thank you, you. you're just all over the place when it comes to art. You know, you being a, like a mother, uh, showing love in Long Beach. You have good pictures. Like just. This all that stuff. It's funny that you said I'm like all over because it's like I do have this ADHD and multi-passionate or multi-creative whatever the heck word appropriate word is. Uh huh. And that's how I feel, and I I'm glad that my social media reflects that, and you're quickly able to see that. Not poems, pictures, family. Mm-hmm. That's love long beach love i love this city it's it's um it's my muse and Mm -hmm. an important part of my well-being i know i love long beach i used to live i was born in long beach uh long beach memorial then my parents we all moved to uh wilmington california Mm -hmm. harbor area then we moved back to long beach then moved to carson so i kind of moved moved around a lot but I moved to Northern California then years ago. I just moved back over here. I feel like Long Beach is my home. Yeah. It'll always be my home. It, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's home. That's how I feel. I'm excited every time I even go to the grocery store and just roll the windows down and feel the ocean breeze and mm-hmm. just be like, I love living here. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I like living here, but I see now uh, Long Beach is just changing dramatically, like yeah. good and bad, you know. Yeah, I feel like um, the shadier areas of Long Beach, where uh, I grew up on the east side, mm-hmm. Retro Row. It's so yeah. trendy now, and it's it's always been Retro Road. And growing up there and walking in the neighborhood and walking to the local library when I was a kid in the 90s and seeing the changes now, you know, remembering who lived in those neighborhoods then and seeing who lives in the neighborhoods now. It's like I always saw the beauty in this neighborhood and Mm -hmm. it's been um, better funded, more polished, so attracting higher renters and it you see people leaving and um that it is good and bad and it's a little sad and exciting and it's just a mix of mm. things i feel that uh with long beach now where everything's getting regentrified a lot of the places are not there no more i'll give you an example i used to go to uh vip records a lot mm-hmm. it's not there no more now it's a 7-eleven yeah. You know, no one's buying records these days, but albums, you know, DJ, you know, with the whole thing, what's going on with the angels, they're going to be moving over here like next year. Is it a good and bad thing? I say it's a bad thing because what's going to happen is 
they're gonna tear down that sports arena over there mm-hmm. with the whales and everything that's gonna be they're thinking about it my cousin loves the whales on there and i think they're kind of <laughs> i'm so kind of like i don't know they're a little um like not very modern because i love street art yeah but it's people are either i find that people are really super attached to that or just mm-hmm. don't yeah but you I, don't think it's a good idea that the angels can play out here because it's gonna be more high traffic it's gonna i'm be... a baseball fan and i know you're a giants fan yes i'm a dodger fan but you're ba- we're gonna I know. we're baseball fans we're right? baseball fans so as a baseball fan you don't like the idea of the angels coming here yeah i mean with <laughs> that's a good thing i don't know is this I, I, okay, from a business set, like the business part of it, and I haven't followed the story a whole lot, but as a business, you know, from a business perspective, you know, is it going to actually stimulate the local Long Beach like economy? I don't really know, and I, that's the it, hard part. It's going to bring us. it's going to bring a lot of revenue. Seeing I mean, the gentrification and yeah. are the opportunities going to be equal? Will there be opportunities for people from the shadier parts of the long beach area to be a part of you know who gets richer while the people in long beach that are in the shadier neighborhoods trying so hard to hold on to their homes and spaces on the you know on the west side i mean we know the area codes that are not the more polished you know downtown long beach like it like um Will the opportunities be equal for everyone? Will the traffic congestion, I mean, you know, how are you gonna get down there, right? There's only Ocean Boulevard or the 710, so they're trying to figure all of that part out. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to stimulate the Long Beach economy, but we have seen, and I'm not like vocal in city council or anything like that. This is just a regular person's opinion, but, it's obvious that in the last decade or two or three, the opportunities have not been equal for those of us who are Long Beach people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I feel like with Mayor Garcia. He's trying to bring much revenue as he can in Long Beach if that means to open more cannabis shops. If that's to mean try to make Pine Avenue better place how it was. Because mm-hmm. the thing I didn't notice is there's not that much restaurants to go to in Long Beach. And that's why with me and my girl, we've been going to East LA a lot to the foods and everything. It's like, it's like, what the heck is this? Everything's too yeah. expensive. It, yeah, I was gonna say that. It's like, you know, when you're talking about tacos, you know, just like you can go to like a couple taco places in Long Beach that are, you know, that that are pretty good. But I, being by a bicultural person and yeah. being somebody who's father lives in you know family lives in mexico um and my dad lives in estado de mexico and then you fly into mexico city get off that plane and like the first thing you want to do is eat some tacos you know and mm-hmm. it's so cheap like it, it's not it, it and then you're here and you're like okay you can go to a taco truck or you can go to a restaurant and pay you know 50 percent more but it's like there are you i am seeing like this influx of like restaurants in long beach but to give you a perfect example where my mom lives right on retro row 
the restaurant that's on the corner. Oh my gosh, I can't think the. What part? Fourth and Cherry. It's on Fourth and St. Louis. Social List. Okay. Oh I've yeah, ate yeah. So there. So I've oh, ate yeah. there. Social yeah. List. You have Lola's. Yeah. Lola's okay. Social. You got that Pho place. Was it Pho Seven? Number nine. Number nine. <laughs> As we yeah. Do. My mom's so funny. My mom's like. Yo nunca he ido ahí. I've never ate there, you know, my, my Mexican mom. And I'm like, mom, these restaurants are not for you, okay? They're for the people that um, the new wave of, um, of young, I don't want to use the word hipsters because people use that word for me. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm a hipster, you know? Like, what does that mean? Like, but this new wave of younger people that are able to afford the rents in that area, it's like Long Beach is so much about the people who have and the people who don't. And it's like they're so close to each other. And at that liquor store right on Cherry and uh, 4th Street, like I don't know exactly, but about seven years ago, I think the guy that worked at that liquor store Got was shot. shot. You remember shot that? Shot in the head? Yeah, shot yeah, in the head. He, he was died. killed, yeah, right? Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. And then you see now, you see like white people jogging there, right? And you're just like blown away by, that's the change that I'm talking about. It's like Long Beach has its violent zones and it has the people that live off of like violence and, and it's just a mix and and you see this, like my mom living there in the same block, but never ate at the restaurants, you know, and then mm. the new wave of people. And then the houses that are just up, just um, on 4th Street, you know, between 4th and 3rd and Cherry, you're talking about, they're so expensive now. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like... Yeah, this this neighborhood, that neighborhood's gen my my childhood neighborhood. I've seen it experiencing gentrification. I see that for a while now, and it's rough. It's it's something where I feel like what they're focusing on, they're focusing on Fourth Street. That's a little money maker, mm -hmm. and now they're focusing on Pixby Nose. A lot of that stuff, and a lot of like, what about what about the the west side or the north side? Not really. Well, look at here where I live, right in Belmont Heights. They just opened up this little pathway right here. I between, saw that. You yeah. Know, and then they did like a two million dollar renovation at the Colorado Lagoon. Um, I remember being around 16, 17 years old, and I went to Milliken High School. And driving by 4th Street where it turns into, you know, going up like towards Mother's Beach. Yeah. And just dreaming like, you know, just thinking like, I'm going to get a great job out of college. And I would love to own one of these houses and seeing that they were in the high 600,000s. And that's, they're worth, I mean, they are $300,000 easily more now 15 years later mm -hmm. and it kind of puts you like wow your dreams of owning a Long Beach property you just kind of like have to work twice as, as hard um, you you know will I ever even be able to own a house in that area now who knows it's just gotten so hard for people that don't have not to hate on anyone that has um, help from their parents that's wonderful you know mm -hmm. are able to save up and 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 buy a house or have um you know help financial help we're like here's a hundred thousand dollars to help you buy your first home um that'd be great but not everybody has 
the same opportunities. And if you don't aren't able to buy a home, at least be able to buy an affordable condo. It's like it's getting so two hundred Cambodian towns gentrifying. I've seen that. My well, aunt, yeah, because where I live, right there on um, by Cherry and Anaheim, but the next street over, a lot of the well, it used to be bad back in the day, like the whole the Mexicans and the Cambodian wars. Mm-hmm. Now, all the Cambodians and Mexicans are moving out. Now you see, it's getting, like you say, we're getting gentrified. And now you see white people coming, moving in yeah. now. And they're buying all these uh, houses and apartments and just, you know, fixing them all up. And now they're jacking the prices up. And now it's like, ooh, this is kind of weird. And this is something that I talk to my family about. And we, you know, we just have conversations about this. And I talk to my kids about it. And and it's really, it is a problem. Um, it is pushing people that love Long Beach and, and we, one of the things that we talk, a friend of mine and I talk about here and there, it's like, I met a new person from Jer. I met somebody from Jersey this week. I met somebody from Detroit two weeks ago. It's like, I don't have any hatred towards people that want to move into Long Beach because they fell in love with the city and want to live here and love the beach access. Of course not. If you're um, contributing to the city, love what there's nothing wrong with that however please understand that at the same time we've seen people in our childhood neighborhoods move out maybe move here and there and try to find a place where it's like not ridiculously expensive to rent while giving your kids access to you know decent opportunities like do i want to move to uh riverside or you know san bernardino to own a home but then you're so far away from like the opportunities here and like the life here you you know it's it's not everyone is in that um has to make those kind of decisions so it's like understand that this city it's about you know you have love for it it's also about the communities that are struggling that have that love for long beach but have to make decisions way rougher decisions than you know if if you live in the hood and you make just enough money to buy a house in the hood that's amazing that's a big win right Mm -hmm. but also these neighborhoods are more polluted you know i mean you can read about it on long beach post you know it's like the asthma rates are higher in these neighborhoods it's like as opposed to here you know where i live where it's like fresh air fresher air you're by the beach more trees you know this huge golf course i live by it's like it's not even and it the amount of work that it's gonna take to even will it ever be even i mean some people tell me that nera it'll never be even you know that's just life some people have less some people have more and i think this is our city and anyone that comes here whether it's as an immigrant whose labor's being exploited at a restaurant and you live here you're gonna enjoy and you enjoy living here and you love living here then you deserve access to a better education like a free english class and moving up in life and having a clean and safe neighborhood like why do we think it's okay for these kids to not have a clean and safe neighborhood and go to these i mean because i'm talking about long beach you know yeah and when you see like in the instagram world and you see the pretty parts of long beach i like to connect with people that are like maybe photographing you know the parts of long beach that are not just the tourist 
Like six million people visit this city a year. Mm -hmm. But don't just focus on that, you know? Focus on the west side. Like, I don't know, just even something simple like my photography. It's like, you know, just picture, take like, a picture of a rose out there. It's like still the, a beautiful like, like rose. The, like the realness of Long Beach. Yeah. Like if you're going to, like you say, the west side, north side. I mean, the stuff like it's the real, real stuff. Like, ooh, don't go to this area. But, boy, you know, but that's how we are. You know, that's and how Long Beach is. people live there. And people are like, oh, I yeah. don't feel safe there. And I'm like, but people live there. People's grandmothers live there. People's mm -hmm. children live there. So, um, I've never been like, I've. I didn't grow up in the hood, like the east side wasn't so much a hood when I, where I grew up in it. Mm -hmm. But I connected with people that did grow up in the hood and, and did have to experience violence and had to like fight off bullies on their way home from school. And I'm, I just always, I'm like, fuck, you know, like I really, um, man, I didn't have to grow up fighting like that. You know, yeah. I'm not a punk either because you think it's a Long Beach thing, right? It's like, anything look, from, I can't, anything. anybody from Long Beach is like, well, you know, but I'm not a punk either. It's like, because mm -hmm. you kind of, if you grew up here, you couldn't, you know, and you're going to get attacked by people. It's like, you can't be, um, as your world starts, my mom, she kept us so sheltered. We couldn't even go out, you know, is she... And as you get out of your elementary school, go to middle school, and you're talk to more people, and you're being influenced, and all of that, it's like um, you connect with with people of different backgrounds and mm -hmm. people with different upbringings, and um, you you as you grow. Then when you become an adult, and your you know your life took this path, and you look back at people, maybe you connect with them on Facebook, or you see them at the grocery store, and you really you know people that have moved out, my own friends that left here because they said you know it's just too expensive, I can't afford the rent, can't afford, I have to live with my parents, I don't want to live with my parents, and I've had to leave the state, and so it just sucks because they have taken their love and talent and gone elsewhere where they had access to better opportunities because they felt like it was just to jump that ladder in Long Beach of getting into a nice home or getting into a nice safe neighborhood it's like you gotta move out of here because it's like the gap is so mm -hmm. you know it's like you had to have done so many things right at a really young age and had the right amount of help to really seems to me like be in a decent position where you can afford a house here yeah. and not everybody has access to that yeah not what do you what do you see now like is it, it are we going are we going in a good path or in a bad path or in the middle for you know for us living here in long beach like what's the future for long beach now is it good or bad i you know I think it's I think it's good and bad you know I think it's because because it, good and bad is just like it's not black and white you know it's like so complex and my biggest thing like is are we creating enough opportunities us our generation the generations above us are there enough opportunities when we're just talking about this little Long Beach world is are we creating a good enough education for these children that come first generation immigrants? Like I've seen a lot of um, immigrants from Central America. 
um, and Long Beach attracts immigrants for a lot of economic reasons um, but the immigrants that come here and are able to hustle and are able to stay healthy enough and are and have the level of education to stay organized and and prepared and they'll be able to move up help their children and leave it's it's like are, are the opportunities equal for for the diversity that this city has it's like the like our mayor is gay and was raised by an immigrant mom and i don't know too much about him you know because i and like just a little bit yeah you know know i know a little bit about him and i know a little bit about his upbringing and so that makes it seem like that's cool you know he went to um like i don't remember when he went to school but i know that he has a degree and at least a master's or something so you know he's a great at public speaking and influence all these things that an education can provide for you Mm -hmm. that a small child who's five six years old who doesn't feel connected to their mother because their mother is an immigrant and maybe doesn't know the language because i can relate to that because my mom didn't know the language when we first moved here i was five years old and I all I knew was Spanish and then I came here and within probably weeks I already knew how to speak English mm-hmm. and going to Long Beach Unified going to Burbank Elementary School the education that I got there um, and just knowing how how hard it is for even your teacher to relate to you like I remember my teacher saying in elementary school like most of my teachers saying oh they don't pay enough you know they don't pay enough your audience your little audience of 30 young minds their Mm -hmm. parents work cleaning homes for a third of what you make as a teacher Mm -hmm. so for you to tell this small audience of kids that you don't make enough money it just many years later reflecting back on my childhood um, you know, you think, why would you tell a small child that, you know, it's like you make so much more than our parents make. You live in a much better place than our parents, than we live. And it just goes to show you the disconnect and the importance of these kids, which are in our schools right now to have the right mentors. And, you know, is Long Beach, this Long Beach have unified have the right teachers the right mentors um i'm not sure you know because i remember what it was like to to go from elementary to middle school to high school and not having not even one person that i could talk to about my very real fears of being an immigrant as a teenager as a kid as a child and the disconnect from my teachers so you know when you're a mother and i have four kids and a stepdaughter you think about your bandwidth as a person and people are like you should you know volunteer more go and you're like i have a lot of things that i you know i have like mental health um balancing that balancing my health balancing my motherhood balancing my job that i had I don't have like the bandwidth for these things but when you asked me to do the podcast and like these are really important things that Mm -hmm. you know that is 
do we have that because these kids eventually can they go work at like angel stadium but not and not that there's anything wrong with sweeping floors because my mom is a housekeeper is a housekeeper you know there's nothing wrong with that but the whole thing is that you want to come here to give your kids a better education and have better access to better opportunities so will my kid go work at angel stadium like work their way up like how hard would it be for my kid in long beach my you know if i had a an immigrant child to get the education that they need to then go work and then maybe work cleaning the stadium up mm -hmm. while they went to college and then climb the corporate ladder and work yeah. for the angels ml you know or work for mlb that's good because you're, right? you're because you're saying that you 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 want your kids to go take it step by step to teach them responsibility to teach mm -hmm. them how to work hard like you say education you know teaching kids to be more responsible work your way up and you'll get there you know just yeah. a part of life but you know is long beach creating you know these opportunities like going back to that it's like I'm not sure. We don't they're, know. They're, I mean, they're obviously doing things to stimulate our local economy. You know, there's a lot of investment. You're seeing people that are coming here with these restaurant ideas. And mm -hmm. I read about them and you're like, well, that's a cool concept. You know, I write it down like maybe next week my friend and I can go try this. Like I just this like bamboo lounge, like tiki lounge place. Oh, right there on Anaheim Street. Have you been there? Well, um, I know the guy who owns it, that uh, uh, Brett from Stash Bar. Okay, so, you know, it's pretty cool. You're like, okay, cool, wow, they look like they actually have good food and, um, you know, try Long Beach Place out, support local businesses, that's, that's what I like to do. Me too. Um, but then I'm always reminded of, like, you know, I'm in a position where I'm able to enjoy these local gems that we, um, we like, this influx of, like, you know, very... Um, creative and talented people opening up this little place here like cool yeah but again like i remember you know when when you're young and you're coming from the bottom percent of long beach that's not it's not the same thing you know they don't have will they be able like work working hard is one thing but i know people in mexico when i go to mexico and i see people working their ass off i mean six seven days a week and they can't get out of poverty and eventually their body starts to deteriorate and hopefully their next generation has done okay enough that they can take their parents in you know and no benefits nothing no benefits and with, and, nothing and with mexico being corrupted it just and exploited yeah the good there's a lot of beautiful things i mean i love love my country and i I, um... Let's talk about that. Um, like, uh, let's talk about you. I want my audience and my listeners to get to know you and what you're all about when when you keep on saying, like, immigrant, you know? Were you... Uh, you were born in Mexico? I was born in Mexico. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. What city? I was born in Tepic, Nayarit. Mm -hmm. But at a very young age, and, and uh, my mom was teaching in Estado de Mexico in a little little town and she lived in Hilotepec. Mm -hmm. And so at a really I was baptized in Hilotepec, Estado de Mexico when I was just 6 weeks old. Uh-huh. 
um, and then I lived back in Tepic with my grandmother for a bit and then back my mom didn't have any family her most of her family had immigrated to Long Beach my grandmother immigrated to Long Beach I think in the 60s I'm not a hundred percent sure mm-hmm. and she was my grandmother was the breadwinner sending money to Mexico um, cleaning homes out here in in the SoCal area yeah um, so my mom was thanks to my grandmother's work here my mom was able to go to school in mexico then she became a teacher um and she had me at she was 20 she's very young she's 20 21 years old and we lived in estado in mexico and my brother and she had my brother two years later we lived um there up until I was five years old and we moved to the city Toluca mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with like but Mexico City Toluca Jilotepec they're all in Estado in Mexico which is the state so in Nayarit it's uh, a state and Estado in Mexico is center central mm-hmm. Mexico and we came out thanks to my dad who got us visas to come to the United States we came under a legal um the way that we entered the country was legal so I have friends who entered the country illegally came cousins family members came to the country illegally when they were younger they were just you know brought in like um, you paid someone to bring you in to cross you over the border it's just what it was um, and they um, the dreamers and I'm big about just voicing that because when I was 18 years old and I got married um, I was able to obtain my residence card pretty quickly because I did not enter the country illegally I entered the country legally and overstayed a visa so ever since I was 18 years old and 19 I've had a residence card and then I became a US citizen in 2008 Mm -hmm. but thanks to that I was able to um, you know go to school and further my education Mm -hmm. and my mom um, cleaned houses when I when she first immigrated here and my brother and I five and three years old we went to Long Beach Unified. My mom put my brother in the Long Beach um, Child Development Center. And those are the things that helped my mom out at a young, young age to um, like give her kids a better uh, future because mm-hmm. she was not able to financially make it in Mexico as you know she went through the issues with my dad being a single mom was just not something that she wasn't going to make enough money to support my brother and I and had to make the decision of leaving everything that she knew and coming to um, America with my grand my grandmother living in Long Beach and figuring it out and when I go back to my country to visit my dad or visit family that I have out there, I look at what I was able to do in the United States as a college dropout from Long Beach City College without like 168 college credits that I have. 
and there's just no way I would have been able to do that in Mexico. And some people tell me, you would have, Nira, you know, you're smart and, and you're hardworking. And I'm just like, it's a lot more than that. You know, it's a lot more about being smart. It's a lot more about being hardworking. It's like more pressure over there. Like if you're living in Mexico, going to college, it's a lot of pressure from you. If your parents like education is key over there. If you have parents, yeah. If you have parents to help you. If you have parents that are there to financially fund your education because you have to pay for it. Um, And like I said, my mom being a single mother, you know, I'm, I'm sure she she felt desperate enough that you know i never have that weight of like i have four children of being like if i wasn't didn't have a partner that desperation where i'd have to like pack everything you have or get rid of it and go move to a whole nother you know country speak don't you know you think about those things and i told my mom like mom you know I'm, i'm just so grateful that you made that decision and i'm sure that was a hard decision for you to make um and she just was like in tears she was like i know i when you when you leave your country and you're like you know you're just sitting there with so much uncertainty about what the future holds you really ask yourself am i making the right decision and to hear your your child say you know mom thank you for bringing me here because i have access to opportunities which i would have wouldn't have had access to there it it was, you know, it was impactful for, for my mom, but it, it's, it's, um, people are kind of surprised sometimes by my immigrant story. They're like, I didn't, like, work-wise and just people that I've met in life and just being a light-skinned Latina, um, did, did, when, speaking the English, yeah. speaking the language. Well. Was that a problem? Because over there in Mexico, like a light-skinned Latina and a dark-skinned Latina is like different. Because, you know, like like you say in Mexico, it's very racist. It's very separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I walked into my grandparents' home, it's having tattoos, for example, in Mexico. It, as much as some people, some people from the city, like from Mexico City, people that I've met, that are immigrants also in Long Beach, but are from like Mexico City, they see tattoos not a big deal because it's in a lot of parts it's like very progressive. Um, and other parts are, are, are like in the more country areas are mm-hmm. more a lot more conservative. And just having tattoos and like, you know, just being light skinned and having tattoos, I think isn't looked down as much as if I was a dark skin, you know, if I was dark skin, it's like the, there, it's not just my opinion and me sitting here saying like, it's because I'm light skin that this has actually been researched, you know, I mean, if you have an ethnic name, you have a 30% less chance that someone will call you for an interview, you Mm. know, things like that. So understanding that um my appearance and the color of my skin it makes it's made a difference for how i've you know moved up i guess you can say through the corporate ladder at at work um or the way that i'm able to build a relationship with people and connect with them and they can look past my tattoos and understand it as like this is just a small piece of me. This is just like my love of art and 
not being looked at. Like, I kid you not, a customer once like basically said I look like a prostitute because I had, you know, tattoos and he's a Mexicano. Um, and it's like, I just kind of chuckled a bit, but it just goes to show you like people that are really in Mexico, Mexicans have, have more respectful words, you know, for how they, they don't look at my artwork that way, but someone here working in, you know, Southgate at, is saying something like so negative about, um, you know, my, my, my art, but being light skinned and it's, um, you see the difference, you know, in, 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 um, like this movie that just came out, Roma, you know, is like this darker skin, you know, mm -hmm. um, actress in Yulitsa. Hopefully I'm saying that right. But being bicultural and seeing like my family or friends or friends of friends on Facebook sharing things and kind of some things were like racist, you know, it's like, ouch, Mexico, we're so like... You know, racism is a real thing in Mexico too. And also, I don't know what it's, um, it's not maybe, what is it, like colorism, you know, when mm -hmm. you're like treat someone of a darker skin yeah. as like threatening to you. It's like you look down, more, you look, you look you down, look on, down them. on them, like they're the help, you know, because mm -hmm. um, they're not light skin. And it's just me being someone that is very willing to question my biases and educate myself further and when I attain new knowledge try and like really work through that and say wow have I treated people with you know like racism or um, colorism it's like oh my goodness and Trump you know it's like all of that it's like being bicultural, being, you know, Long Beach, growing um, close to pe black people, like um, Chicanos, you know, being an immigrant is different than being a third generation Chicano, is different from being, you know, a, um, a black uh, immigrant from, you know, a, a state in, in Africa, and being a African-American, you know, it's like all of those things are different. Whereas, bef I don't, I, I didn't really look at it that way. I was young. I didn't, didn't have the education. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. But just having all this intersectionality and talking to people in Mexico, and it's just like we can't. Like the racism is like showing, like so, you know, it, it it's not okay for us to say certain things about um black people like you know they're lazy don't want to work they're just on welfare without understanding the trauma of the living in poverty generation after generation not acquiring any generational wealth and when you're an immigrant here and you're just really not aware of all these things or aware of the fact that because you're light-skinned and you can speak English well that you're gonna look be looked at differently from your um, peers who are darker skinned and haven't mastered English as well as you then you go on to, you know, you move, you go to a better middle school because I was able to go to Bancroft Middle School. Oh, so right there by, uh, I think so what, by, by Lake Wadai? 
Yeah, yeah by yeah. Lakewood High. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to to um, Millican High School. But, you know, you don't think of the impact that going to a better school. Why is it a better school? Well, because it's in a better neighborhood, you know, because you have access to uh, more of a diversity and mm-hmm. like... Um, science, art, theater, Mm. drama, music, Mm -hmm. these things that are taken from children that are in the worser neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And that's something that many years later, I can look back on and say, you know, I had access to these things. I went to the Long Beach Performing Arts Center. I was exposed to art, you know, like, or going to Mexico where, um, I mean, it just blows my mind. I talk to people about Frida Kahlo, my friends in Mexico, right? Like, you're like, oh, everybody knows who Frida Kahlo is. Everybody in SoCal mm-hmm. is like, she's on handbags, on sweaters, on socks, you know? Everybody but, loves Frida Kahlo. But going she's to so, Mexico and going to her place and everything. Like, which I've never been to Casa Azul because when mm. I go to Mexico, I do family things. I'm of like a family girl. Like you can tell in most of what I do is like my family is number one. If it's not my kids, it's my mom, my brothers, it's my family in Texas, it's my family in Mexico. And so hanging out with my dad um, out there, I do family things, but I want to go to Mexico and do touristy things. I've been to like um, Xochimilco, El, El Caso, Castillo de Chapultepec. I've been to some of these um, some of these places, but I was younger, so I want to go back and experience my culture as an adult and all the knowledge that I've acquired about you know art and um, just expressing myself on paper and starting to create like you know really paying attention to the things that i love as an artist like photography and um collage work and just kind of and you write stuff like poetry and all i yeah and i write and so i've been writing for um for for a long time and and seeing that the arts in mexico are not really like I want to say like my friends in Mexico, it's like they go to school, they work, and then the weekends are like for chilling and drinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, wrong with that, mm-hmm. like if that's what you like. But then I'm like, dude, like Mexico is so beautiful. Like I want to explore. I want to like, you know, when I talk about art, they're like, Frida, like, you know, like, you know, Frida Kahlo. You think about her life and, and, and who she was and as of as a woman and some people you know say she was a feminist and i know you want to talk about that it's Mm -hmm. like she was a feminist you know and i think like was she a feminist because she was more like um like liberated like she's very open-minded you know it's like she was uh, you know bisexual um she had a like um lovers and affairs and all of this is documented and well known and and but yet she was like you know her and diego had this like interesting relationship one of the things that was so funny was that she used to like draw his bath and put like rubber ducks in it like he was like a, a child and she had she was obviously obsessed you know she had a not so healthy relationship 
with with Diego. A lot um, of uh, a lot of cheating going on. Yeah, a lot of lying, a lot of betrayal, and she was this artist, and she um, the betrayal went both you know both sides. Do you feel that with that maybe there was cheating because when she got into that accident, she couldn't have kids no more. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why. But that's not true. So I read um, a Vogue inner like it wasn't an interview, but it was a, like a Vogue article, and like I don't have a citation or anything, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you can Google it. Mm-hmm. Um, where people, um, so she had like a couple of abortions um, because she got pregnant, but you know she couldn't have a baby. But then. Some people said there's a word for it where you have like a um, like a, an addiction to being like you know having this like you're in pain or you're you're, you're hurt and so you get that attention. I can't think of pity. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it. There's actually like a medical term for it. But they some people said that um, she would have been able to carry a pregnancy and had a, a C-section. But that was never an option for her, so they didn't know. And then also when she did like her last art show, they I think she requested like a four-post bed be put in the um, where she was gonna show, and she had surgery like right before that. But then people kind of questioned that in this article that I read and said, did she really need that surgery? It seemed kind of unnecessary. So basically, she's a very interesting person very very interesting person and that's one of the things that really um like attracted me to her to her story and when i hear people in mexico they're like oh no like you know i just okay i get that in the art world there's something for everybody and there's some stuff that people are like that shit's not art you know like i could just imagine like my super mexican suegro Esas chingaderas, like that's what you guys call art, you know. In Mexico, it's like the Mexican. I don't know how much we really embrace like the arts, and um, at least in my experience and with my friends, you know. And they say things like, "Oh, who cares about her? I don't understand why she's such a big deal," you know, Frida. And then I'm thinking, like, are you fucking kidding me? She's a super interesting person, and she's one of the most like famous female artists in the entire world and when you read into Frida's story and why she became so popular and you find out that Madonna bought some of her prints or art pieces and of course Madonna being who she was this was a long time ago I don't know if in like in the 80s but being who she was and the impact that she had and you know that's an influence whether you whether you um you know just having that fame is like you're an influence on people and what mm-hmm. you buy in the art that you like you know you're gonna have easily an entire you know it's exposure right to to her artwork mm-hmm. um but people don't know like you know i think people sometimes they just oh why she's mainstream and uh, and i've actually someone said she was mainstream to me once and i just was like I can't even talk to this person ever. Like they're so ignorant in saying something like that to a Mexicana like me because I directly take offense to that. She's a she's a Mexican artist. And if you appreciate and love art, number one thing is like an artist is an artist. Don't tell the artist what to draw or 
you think they give a shit about your opinion that you know it's mainstream or it's like she's you know dead now but her art as a mexicana is going around the world that's a beautiful thing whether you like her artwork or not i think as a mexican like as a mexican that's something to be proud of as a woman artist you know mm-hmm. and she doesn't get like that recognition from what i've seen in my experience with friends in in mexico to call her a feminist you know i i don't i don't i don't really know because what is that what did that term mean to women like frida back in you know in the 40s and i don't know what that meant to her you know i took a class intro to feminism at long beach city college in like 2013 2003 2004 mm-hmm. so feminism you know the instagram feminists as i like to call all this army of women and i feel like not to bash their um platform or their voice but i took this college class it, from my ethics professor who was like, hey, I'm interested in feminism, so FYI, I'm gonna have an intro to feminism class um, next semester if any of you guys wanna take my class. I thought he was a great professor. He really made me question a lot of my ethics, which is awesome. That's what a teacher is supposed to do, you know, crack open your yeah. bubble of, you know, of ignorance. And I learned so much in that class that just blew my mind. Mind you, I was young, married, two kids, grew up in a strict Catholic household, was what you'd call, you know, a good girl. Um, kind of sad how hard you have to, like, protect your reputation as a teenage girl looking back all these, you know, years later and through my education and through having daughters myself that are now in the teenage years. So I wasn't ready to really... Um, to call myself a feminist at that time was like breaking so many barriers for me that I couldn't call myself that. It was like a dirty word, you know, like a feminist. It's like, what do you mean, you know? Do you, especially being Latina and like, what do you want everything equal? Like, you're not gonna cook for me, you know what I mean? It's like that whole. And, and um, I was like, well, I just want to know more about more about it you know just like my teacher just like you what you said to me you know i want to know more about it and what does it mean to be equal and can you really ever say a man and a woman is equal and actually sitting down and reading the chapters and having a lect a three-hour lecture with your professor every single week writing papers and writing a final and getting a b in this class So when I see people on the internet that are just like feminists and all men are trash and that kind of thing, it's not what it's about. You know, there's extremes to everything, right? Just like you have your average Trump supporter who voted for Trump and then seems to completely disconnect themselves from all this like hate that he brings to the table because they think he's a savvy and great businessman, which he's not, he's trash, by the way, just had to say that. and then seeing like um it's like then you have this super extreme trump supporter you know that's like too much or 
taking it to the other side where Hillary, right? It's like, you know, some people are like, only see this good, you know, she's a woman and we have to vote a woman in there. And it's kind of like, that's not what it's, you know, it's like you're taking that term of being a feminist and just kind of like, you can take it to the extreme and have these like polarized sides where you're not going to influence anybody because people are going to see you and you're going to have this all men are trash and you're going to draw an audience of course because people are going to be attracted to that message but in reality being a feminist is it's like has nothing to do with hate and definitely not towards a man you know it's like we're raising little i have a son he's eight years old it's like i i'm raising my son like being a feminist it's raising your son to be okay with every range of their emotions of um, paying attention to these statistics and numbers of you know just girls are less likely to go into these fields and this is why and and women are less likely to do this and this is why and so just kind of sitting there and reflecting on your childhood and your upbringing and being like well i was raised in this way to be conservative or learning that for example in very conservative countries where women are literally covered from head to toe they are still sexually assaulted they are still raped you know or or people telling you um what you're wearing it's like you're drawing you know attention and it's like I, growing up and saying I can't be myself I have to people will sexualize um, my body and and those were really real those were real things and those are real things that we should talk about with our um you know if you're a very promiscuous open girl to whatever that's okay there's like there's nothing wrong with that but um you know I know you, you saw that story about um this girl that got uh assaulted for six hours by the um yeah, manager at the yeah, strip club that. you know something that i shared yeah. so the person that i follow she's um she's a, a stripper and she does a lot of uh advocate work for sex workers and so just knowing that you know there's women out there who you know when we talk about opportunities and access to them there's not many for them so okay they go into that okay but then you're talking about um, being assaulted, and and it's like, what the hell, you know? Like if you and then being ignored, or even like in LA, for example, they used to call um, dot, you know, girls my daughter's age, 13, 14 years old, prostitutes. And so then what happens is they get arrested and, you know, a 13, 14 year old that's a prostitute in Compton, I'm sorry, but there's probably a lot more going on to that story than it's very simple. She's a prostitute, you know? So now they changed it to, to um, child trafficking and something like that. So now these kids don't have this record. So being a feminist is about that part of it. It's about the work that goes into um, equal rights for women in the sense that these opportunities are not, you know, equal. When you look at the numbers and you say a doctor compared to this doctor who had the same amount of experience and education is getting an offer 
for less than a male doctor.、Mm-hmm. And it's important for us as a society to recognize these things and say women are carrying a bigger burden when it comes to childcare or figuring it out. And it's not to attack the father that is there for the child, that is taking on more domestic duties and actually doesn't have a problem taking on more. They just don't know how to do it, maybe, you know?、Um, they're not sure, okay, well, a baby needs all these things, you know? Okay, how do we do that? It's not about that. It's not about bashing our culture and saying, oh, because you're a feminist, you're not gonna serve me dinner or cook for me. No, that's a cultural thing, right? Like in our culture, in our Mexican culture, being a,、um, just being that caring person that nourishes, takes care of, feeds the family. Is, is an intricate part of who we are as, as Mexican women. Yeah. I, with my mom, I was more brought up like, you know, like you should always help around the house. So I've always been that person where I don't depend on someone to clean up after me. I've always been like, you know, this is my place. I gotta clean the dishes, I gotta do this and all that. So even with my lady, you know, when I see her helping me, I always tell her, what are you doing? So, I'm helping you. So, yeah, but let me do it.、Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like, because I just, I, to, I have family. I have seen things where the men are more like, hey, go do this. And they just play games and they just do nothing. And the women are stressed out. But I feel like I've always been that person helping clean up, you know, even, you know, with my lady, you know, I'll be helping her out whatever I can. Sequel, you know, hey, you help me out, I help you and, out. And part of feminism is also studying like the fact that women can be your biggest enemy as a woman, you know. Like,、um, in, in,、uh, in my class, we talked about、um, the mistreatment of women. Like, I think the story was about women in India. So, in India, like in the cultural, you go live with your in laws. And then the mother in law would treat the daughter in law horribly, like beat her, hit her.、Um, and one of the things over there is that they, like, they would eventually abuse them so much to the point of killing them, right? So it's not like a, me- a women versus men thing. That just, number one, shows me like the ignorance of someone's post, you know? that They haven't actually taken the time, and I can't I can't sit here and tell you、I've, I'm so well read on the subject. I have read this author and that author, and I know feminist you know, subjects you know, and, and details and, and cite my work. No, I, I can't do that. I, I can tell you that you know, I took this class and it really opened up my eyes to. to、um, I, I, being intersectional and comparing it to my culture, my upbringing, I didn't grow up with the mom that made me do more than my brother. But I know girls my age that did grow up having to do everything for their brothers.、Um, and it, it ta- it, it's like to be a woman in Mexico, in a rancho in the 50s and the 60s, there was no school for you. Your best opportunity was going to be to marry a person that hopefully respected you and treated you right while you managed the household duties and they took care of you know, the outside. But、um, 
that's what just really understanding the term you know a feminist is about it's like my brothers are feminists you know they they want my their sister to have opportunities my partner is you know we want our daughters to have opportunities you know it's like um you're a feminist in my eyes if you if you you you're not okay with people no matter what your girl's wearing or what the girl next to you is wearing if you see a person that just comes up to her and starts to be aggressive in their body language that you say hey chill the fuck out don't talk to her that way you know um or that if you see that sex workers are being treated this way it's their job and people are like well they chose that field yeah they chose that that field but that does not mean that it's okay for them to be assaulted you know they're doing they're hustlers is the way i look at it right they're Mm -hmm. hustling for their money it's not okay for them to be assaulted and i read this um article about mexican women who were retired prostitutes and i think it was like in the mexico city area and they like voiced their stories like this lady had left her her house in the pueblo in you know out in the country in mexico because her husband left her and she had six kids and had nobody nowhere to go to so she goes to the city to a church and tells a priest like i have six kids i need to feed them you know can i stay here i don't know where to go and he's like that's not my problem so she resorted to prostitution she didn't see any other way to feed her children and so it's not okay that one there isn't opportunities for this woman had no kind of education and the only thing for her was get married you marry this douchebag you have six kids and have no way of providing for them you go to the city and it's like this person is a human too, a human being. And to be a feminist means to look at that situation with compassion and heart instead of this traditional Catholic like, um, oh, well, you're a sinner. And, you know, if you would have prayed harder, or if you would have done the right things or, you know, this, this mentality of like, con Dios todo se puede, like if you have God, you know, anything's possible. It's like, that's pretty rough when we're not actually living, you know, actually, I don't know, you know, like we're not, it's so judgmental and Mm -hmm. like a feminist, it's like, we're not judging you Mm -hmm. for your life choices in any way or what ways you chose to feed your six children. But you know what? Here's some birth control and here's some child care and the things that just it's about dignity you know like people deserve like dignity like being a feminist it's about you know people are like oh you're you're like pro-abortion or like how do you how could you like you know these feminists are so liberal and, and don't don't care about life and you're like what the hell are you talking about like whether a clump of cells is life or not is one thing we can disagree on that you can say yes Nira, it's life and i can say no it's not life right mm-hmm. okay that's one subject but the fact is that abortions have always happened you can 
people have taken herbs. When a woman does not want to be pregnant and is in a desperate situation, whether they have money or not, there's ugly stories behind all of that. There's the back alley coat hanger stories. Ugh. There's the I took this and it literally ate up my inside stories, right? So when you see like, you know, banning abortion, I feel like I'm kind of attacked sometimes because I'm so open about the fact that women should have access to safe a safe abortion is that that only affects poor women and women who don't have enough money to fly to New York or fly to California to get an abortion where they are legal because all these states where these wars are going on are in these fake conservative states as I like to call them because why are they fake because there are some good big-hearted Christian people out there I know some of them you know they're like this person's a real Christian you know they don't judge they're open-hearted I mean like they're real but a lot of people are not there's a lot of hypocrites out there and if you can afford a flight and you can book your flight you're flying out to California and the only people that are affected by these abortion laws whether you would decide it is life or not you know what I mean it's like the only people that are affected are people who can't afford that and so it goes back to being me talking about poverty and me talking about being a feminist and it's like being compassionate and caring and if they don't want abortions and they don't want access to birth control for women young women that are misguided making bad choices getting knocked up at a young age it's like what do you really care about here it's like do you want these children to grow up in poverty um it's a horrible world to endure you know so that's more of what being a feminist is it's about dang that's whoo that's a little deep you know yeah. but it's it makes me understand more you know like because i always want to know you know little things I'm not used to like feminists and all, but it's pretty deep. It's yeah, and it's like, you know, if you want to go to a strip club and have fun, and it's like the way I look at it, it's like you're supporting like these women that are hustlers, you know? And this whole agenda of like, I'm a good girl and I didn't have a bunch of partners and I wasn't this like high school hoe or I never, you know, dressed a certain way. And you're not better than people who were poorly guided and girls who had to do what they had to freaking do when i read these stories of these women that had to start doing sex work at really young ages and to survive mm -hmm. i'm just like who the fuck am i to judge anyone that had to make those type of choices at such a young age or were you know, went through abuse or went through things that they had to endure from the people that were supposed to protect them or had nobody to protect them. And it, it's like just opening up your mind and understanding that it's a lot more than, oh, you're a feminist. And it's like, I'd like to take the time to sit down and talk to someone about all these things. It's like, 
it's a lot, but it's important that I have like a connect that you understand that you understand it a little bit better now when you're more like, and that it's coming from someone that like is open about where they receive their information. You know, taking this class. Um, there's also things about women that we bring to the table. Like I wrote my final on the care factor of women and how we care more. You know, whereas men can be more cold. And it's about your upbringing again, about don't show your emotions or be stronger, be a man or don't cry. Um, men don't cry. That's so, know, typic- that's, that's so typical Mexican, like the old school. Like, you know, now we have to express the way how we feel, but they, the, the old school mentality feel like, oh, that's, you You guys, new, new generation, now you guys are too fucking weak. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm being very honest. <laughs> but you, they don't want to be like, oh, you're just being too much of a sissy. Yeah. Like, man up, you know? Mm-hmm. I get that. Because yeah. you had so much that you were just wanted to vent and let it out. But when you talk to your parents about certain things, depends if they have a heart or not. It depends what you're going to get from your parents. Are you going to get that love? Are they going to understand you? Or they're just going to turn your back on you and be stubborn like, oh, man, I don't want to hear that crap. Yeah, that's deep yeah, okay before we get to that let's take a break because okay. this is getting good <laughs> all right we're back on and took a little water break um i want to talk about the subject you're talking about in india so what happened in india okay so when it so one of the cool things about my intro to feminist class was the um, different cultures and how, you know, what does it mean to be a feminist in like a country like India, you know, or what kind of abuse um, do women tolerate? And a lot of it comes from other women, you know, and in India, when you marry you go live with your in-laws so the women goes lives with the in-laws um and then the mom you know tells you a lot of what to do and this is i took this class a while ago so this is kind of like super rusty in my memory but from what i remember is that in some of these cases the abuse would get so bad between the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law because if you're defiant you just get hit more you know if to stand up for yourself it's like you're supposed to be submissive and not say anything and just do exactly what your mother-in-law tells you to do because she runs and your husband your husband's not going to protect you in any way so it's not the husband that's the abuser it's the mother-in-law that's the abuser and it was important to talk about this so we can also understand um the role that other women have in attacking you know women to the point where they become so abusive that the way that they would kill off the daughter-in-law would be by like burning them in the stove something like that but throwing acid at them yeah or or like um and, and and so to us it was like so shocking in the class to be like wow that is so like vicious that is so like um bar- barbaric right but then they don't have access to guns and stuff like we do here so it's like oh that makes you think okay this is like it's it's like opening up your mind and understanding other cultures and understanding like that even speaking up in other countries is like that's bad you know 
even as a, like the things that we take here in America, like being able to speak up, and those are things that in other countries women are not able to do. And it's not just the men that prevent them from speaking up; it is also the women for a lot of reasons. You know, I mean, you'd have to, you know, you could probably talk for. For, there's probably lectures and entire courses on how these cultures are different, you know, from ours, and it's really just about understanding that um, women are also a part of brutally punishing other women for speaking up or for disagreeing with them or for not being submissive to them. It's not just men that are abusive. Dang. And important to know this when you truly call yourself a feminist. And I see like a lot of Mexicanas that call themselves feminists, but then they'll post things like, get yourself a girl that can cook. And it's kind of like when you're a feminist, you don't bash another woman for their inability to learn how to, you know, cook because that's a Mexican culture thing. I see thing. that you a know lot. What I, I mean? see that a lot. That's a Mexican culture thing. And I've also kind of, um, like I've had younger Mexican women that are like, I don't know how to cook. It's like, what do you mean you don't know how to cook? Baby girl, you learn how to cook. And they're like, no, it's because they've been kind of, when they made an attempt, and it's like anything, it's cooking, learning how to freaking swim, it's everything, it's about teaching, you know? And I, I went to school, I wanted to be a teacher. Anything is about teaching. Somebody can learn something super quick and somebody's gonna take 10 days to learn what you learned in one day. It's just about learning. So I, I'm like, go on YouTube, try a recipe when no one's home and you can throw it in the trash. And so slowly but surely, you can learn these things, you know, about cooking. It's like, don't be discouraged because your family is like, you don't know how to cook shit. Or you burn everything, you know, because I had to learn how to cook. I moved out of my house when I was 17 years old. I was pregnant at 17 years old. Uh, graduated high school at 17 years old and was cooking. And I, how did I learn how to cook? Mostly by watching my mom and duplicating the behavior and then also by um watching food network you know like that i had cable tv <laughs> even though i was a broke teenage mom i had cable tv and I was, <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you don't look at you don't look at these things in that way it's not until later on when you're more exposed to different cultures and you're like different people and you're like oh i learned these things not because i'm like it's what we have access to yeah you know? that's deep that's whoo I, I i i just like the the flow of i'm because i'm just i'm just like feeding off i'm just like learning like the stuff that you're talking about and uh, it, it's it's making me understand a, a lot of things you know and that's one thing that's one of the reasons why um, I wanted you on the podcast and it's like you're very you're very intelligent and you you know it sorry for my language you know what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> yeah but it's awesome um also I have a couple things I want to talk and everything let's talk about family number one mother what so what do you mean by family like you're just so much of a family person you just love living life with your kids motherhood um i mean it's it's been most of really half my life now yeah at this point because i was pregnant at 17 years old 
Um, and as I tell my now 17 year old daughter is I stepped it the fuck up, you know, I, um, I took care of you. I, like I told you, I bought this stack of books to teach myself about everything my, I was going to experience as a pregnant person, what labor was going to, was going to be like, what, um, what I was supposed to feed you, not feed you, when I should be concerned if you had a fever. I mean, like. I really took it on like, like I, I wanted to be the best mother, you know, knowledgeable mother or be better prepared. Um, and it, it's, it's something that motherhood has just been consumed me. And through every life change that I've had, whether it was splitting up um, with my husband at that time, work or finding a job climbing the corporate ladder um being sick going through mental health you know uh, issues and getting myself out of you know uh, like challenging situations it's always been carrying motherhood through everything and being the breadwinner in my um, as a single mom i was the breadwinner um and and making decisions that other people couldn't understand or being judged for decisions as a single parent um, or the conflict and relationship that I had with my um, conservative Catholic mother and me being like, you know, oh, you're, you're so liberal or you're, you know, I feel like my mom worked so hard and I was able to educate myself better um, and raise my children and have a emotional and mental connection to them because I didn't have that growing up. I knew that, I know now that my basic needs were all being covered thanks to the upbringing that I had of having like my mom and stepdad both working and providing for us and <laughs> living in a house as small as it was. I still had a house, I still had a yard, um, the ed- access to education that I had and, and you know, motherhood is just, because of that, you know, in turn, you're able to better educate your children. You're able to raise them, even though I was a, I am a young mom, you know, like uh, my daughter Luna is 13 months old and she is my first child from my second marriage, which we on and off, we have had a seven year relationship. So that's a while. And then now you have your first child yeah. and my oldest daughter's 17. I have a 15-year-old daughter, I have an 8-year-old son, and I have a 12-year-old stepdaughter who lives in Texas, and then I have my my baby girl. So we have a blended family, and it's been a hell of a lot of emotional work. There has been conflict between, you know, my children, my stepdaughter, um, and my girls with my son, my son with the baby, and it's like being a mother, it takes up your entire bandwidth just just caring for these small human beings takes up your entire bandwidth now having a career on top of that that's like whoa you know my friends in mexico my my they say who helps you you know around the house because every woman in mexico that has a career or not that i know has help at home in mexico that's the culture you know 
um, you make it far enough to a point where you can afford help. I mean, even if you're a teacher, my mom's like, I was a teacher and I had help, you know, I had a, a girl come and help me clean the house. And it's just, when you're a professional, you have that. I don't have that. And a part of it, I think, is because now when you get to the point where you actually have enough money that you can afford help, you're kind of like, um, one, I have like a paranoia thing because it's hard for me to trust people. I don't, you know, I've had friends that are like, I'll help you come clean your house, you know? I'm like, you're so awesome. You know, I have, I have good friends and I have good people and I have good connections, but I just kind of made peace with the fact that, um, I'm going to be cleaning my house from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to sleep and taking care of four human beings and what their needs are and being a partner to my partner. And, um, and in between all of that, trying to squeeze in my career and trying to squeeze in my creativity. And it's, it's like being a mother, I have to be their biggest role model. So I have to teach, you know, people, I know people want what's best for their kids as far as like financially, you want your kids to have nice things and you want, but it's also, you know, important to recognize that you cannot be away from your child most of the time and not be there to teach them. Again, it goes back to teaching, you know, my son sits at the table, I sit him down and I want him to be better educated and, you know, eat right, chew with your mouth closed, get your napkin. So I'm doing all these things with him, you know, breakfast time, take him to school and pick him up and um, ask him about his day in the playground and because children and their emotions whether you and i might say honey that's no big deal that's a big deal to them in their small world so in order for me to, to be a present and, and i had to work on this you know this wasn't something that at 17 years old i knew at 17 years old 18 years old i wanted my daughters to be clean um i was going to college um, I was working weekends, teaching traffic school. Like I was just, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, I, was, I couldn't even do that shit now, you know, like to work every weekend um, and go to school four days a week and literally have no days off was nobody ever sat down and told me, hey, you're doing a lot, you know? So you experience signs of burnout, exhaustion, panic attacks, anxiety, depression. You experience all these things as a mother and as a Mexican, um, as a Mexicana, trying to move up in life, and it was super, super hard. Um, I didn't have like, um, and I had help with my family, and I had, you know, I my mom bought me my first car. My mom used to help me, and she'd show up, and there'd be diapers and paper towels and all those things, and like. You know, back then I was like a broke college kid, but my kids had everything. I mean, thanks to, you know, whether it was us working or um, the family, my kids had like my, my daughter now, even though I have, you can say financially a lot more now, I see that my daughter doesn't need an entire, like there's no way she'll ever play with a lot of toys. What she wants is me, is mommy, you know? Mm. And what for mom to be happy and healthy and well-balanced. Um, and I had to learn those things of balancing motherhood and balancing all these things that I had on my shoulders. 
and saying, wow, you really are doing, you know, a lot um, to where now I have to hold my oldest daughters accountable for things and say, hey, look, you see that the minute I get up to the minute I go to sleep, I'm cleaning around here, you know, I'm cooking us meals. I mean, people are like, wow, how do you have time for all that? You know, how do you have time to cook? How do you have time? Like I was working, I just quit my job a month ago, but um, yeah, you are, um, you're like, I know it's a lot. What I do is a lot, you know, my partner works out of town um, sometimes. And so it's like, I'm balancing some of these things on my own as a, I'm not a single parent financially, but in that moment I am a single parent because I'm, ha- I'm you know, doing all these things. and. Um, I did not have the support that I needed from my the father of my first three children for various reasons and he's now in the picture and being more consistent which is awesome it's something that I've worked really hard to get along with him and have a good relationship so that my kids can have um, stability and feel love and not for me to um, bash this person because when you're a parent it is important that you focus on your child's physical well-being and mental well-being emotional well-being and not neglect them and that when they tell you dad you know you really made me feel like really bad when you said that for you to be like the hell that was nothing you know but instead of being like let me take a pause Okay, son, let's talk about it. But then also, I don't want you to be like, you need to build resilience. You know, you need to build grit. You need to be gritty. Not like let my son go out and play on the side. Because, you know, I just read about how we're just helicopter parents and always wanting to be, let the kid have some independence. Right here, I don't have a yard, but I have a safe street, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, son, go play with your skateboard. And it's a lot for me. It's like he's playing soccer and it's like, I tell my kids, I have to make sure that you're doing well in so many ways. Make sure your grades are okay. Make sure that you know, you're know you eating okay. Make sure that the social media pressure isn't crushing you because teenagers are really going through a lot of right now. I, I feel like with social media with kids is, I think they shouldn't be on it because I feel like with social media now, the suicide went up. Mm-hmm. skyrocketed yeah mental health and you know who gets it the worst the women the girls yes, teenage well i think and i don't have like the statistics you know in front of me because to me that's always really important when i talk to my kids because it's the only way that i'm able to right there and then like directly address something you know so we have a dinner together every night and we talk about uncomfortable things you know um we talk about sexual violence we talk about i don't know if you read about the 17 year old boy in bixby knowles who was assaulting young girls drugging them picked them up from wilson high school took them home and drugged them and assaulted them so you know i talk to my kids about these things because it's not about you know people are like oh my god i don't know what i would do if i had a daughter no 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 men go through things too one in four men you know is like sexually assaulted like one in three women whatever you know i don't i don't remember the exact numbers but it's important when you talk about these things that you also address it to your sons to your daughters um that it is not enough to think you're protecting your kid by saying like oh we're gonna you know um 
if anybody comes close to you, I'm gonna hurt them. It's like, no, because then your child might be sneaky. <laughs> you know, like, like teenage years come with a lot of, of pressure and what you see on social media like when my daughters were like we want to have instagram and i'm like are you ready to see um a naked man are you ready to see a dick pic are you ready to see these things and they're like what mom like i'm like do you know why i tell you this because if you click on a hashtag you might be exposed to all these inappropriate images um or the fact that even if you do have a private account that they might still try and message your child because there's no protection against that so i think with social media it's important that us as parents educate ourselves about um you know you cannot just give your phone to your kid and have them sit on youtube all day and not know what they're um you know doing <laughs> But if your kid is, um, like my son, he watches YouTube right here in the living room. And I love that I have a small space because I can hear these kids talking. And I'm like, Ryder, what the heck? Did that guy just say this? But he's right here in front of me, you know? And he's like, yeah, mom. And like one time my son's like, mom, this kid's mom told him he's going to call the cops on him because he doesn't listen to her. And I'm like, oh my God, how many Mexican parents have told their kids that, you know, I'm gonna call the cops if you don't listen to me. And it's like, it's like all these, you know, things that you have to um, talk to your kids about. But if you're not educated about these things, how can you have a com an educated and reasonable conversation with your small child about the dangers of, of these things? <laughs> Like to me, uh, whew, I know this is this is pretty game deep. I like this is very interesting topics. I I I get it. Like you're doing it. The same thing with me. I was I'm I'm like a single father. When me and my ex we broke up, we had a daughter when she was like a baby. Things didn't work out. I had nowhere else to go. You know, me, my kid, my two boys. We were living in a car. We were homeless and everything. Mm -hmm. And I had to start over. And when I got my own place. The their mother didn't want them. I was being like being like a mom and a dad, and it's been really hard mm -hmm. because how am I gonna have that balance? Me doing overnights. Luckily, my kids are older. Mm -hmm. You know, my work is kind of like ten minutes away. I can drive whatever, and it's hard. It's hard because I don't know how to be a mom. Because it's like I'm being a father. So how do I show that love? It's just like, and uh, luckily my girl, you know we. We, we do a lot of fun stuff whenever we can. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the times um, I was having a hard time uh, with the podcast because yeah. I was so focused on the podcast. I wasn't spending time with my kids that much, mm -hmm. but they understand. So now that I have a balance of how I want everything to be and, and do my podcasts in the afternoons or in the mornings, and I have that time where I can spend time with my girl and my boys, I have that. And it's also important to teach your kids, you know, shit's not always going to be pretty and I'm not always going to be able to dedicate all that time that I want to you. And so I do expect you to open up your eyes a bit and say, hey, my mom's really working here. And one thing that I learned from my army friends is that they don't, you know, they're deployed for long periods of time. Oh, yeah. And 
one thing that really really stood out is like how much they focus on quality time with their kids so some people see their kids every day and don't even really get to know their kids or are not in tune with their children's emotions or don't even care like you said your ex putting the, that strain on their kids it's like that wasn't important to her you know and so i feel like when we do talk to our kids about the importance of having a connection and finding a balance and saying hey we're a team and we're in this together and i'm doing this for us and our future that you hold them accountable to saying i expect a little bit more from you and if i'm not addressing your needs or if you're in a situation at school where you really feel because kids they're not going to tell us everything you know but the important thing is to build a solid enough relationship to the point where they get into high school and they are being secretive and there's a bunch of you know rumors and whispers going around that your kids feel like my parent is somebody safe that i can go to because that's how i feel like at home i feel like my kids are going through all this drama all these things at school they're not telling me about and you know uh rumors and conflicts with other girls but then i feel like baby this is your safe place when we go eat we're together you know be present but but back to your you know suicide rates are going up and it's like um talking about mental health in my home and talking about depression and anxiety and panic it's not anything weird it's like we talk about it because i struggle with um like i had a um well i've had anxiety and panic attacks since i was a kid mm -hmm. but i didn't know what they were i didn't have the language to describe them and i didn't have the connection to my mother to describe them so for me it's important that my kids know i went to trauma i went through trauma too as a, as a child and so when you are older and educated and are aware of these things that you experienced and went through and read a book you know read a couple of books and and do the work because i had to go on a xanax prescription when my panic attacks got so bad and anxiety and i knew that i wasn't ashamed of taking xanax because i knew that my body needed a tool to help me because i couldn't control the physical symptoms of the anxiety like um dizziness nausea um chest um, like what kind of anxiety is like like you can't be around like a lot of people or? um well anxiety disorder is very complex it's not you know you can have triggers and this is something that you can thankfully there's some pretty dope mental health pages that i follow online and i share info i'm sure you've seen and it connects with people you know they're like i can relate to this so much because as an educator, even though I, I didn't graduate from college, I consider myself an educator having my children. I think that when you give a person this little book or this little Instagram post and you say, here's this little piece of info that I think will really help you, it really makes a difference. And that's the kind of impact that I want to have, you know, with my page and my social media. It's like make people aware of some of the things that they were not aware of. And at the same time, I'm simply just sharing information that I think is valuable to my children, myself, and my family, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't want my kids to go through these um, anxiety, like they have anxieties from school, you know? Me, when I was going through my issues, it's like I wasn't, like as, as you, you listen to me, I'm so open and I, I'm transparent. I wasn't always like this. I had to work just to find my voice. I had to work and go through things that made me erupt 
because I was holding so much in for such a long time since I was a child. I grew, I learned how to experience panic, anxiety, and depression, but carry myself with a smile and always look happy. And that's behavior that you have to unlearn and you have to do the dirty work. And I did the dirty work and I went through it. And you know, um, when you're struggling with depression and you're not just not producing these neurotransmitters, and that's why I love science so much because it just is so reasonable. And growing up Catholic and you're just like, just pray, you know, ask God to help you. And it's like, oh my God, that's not enough. It's like, religion is great not to bash it. If that's what helps you mentally, you know, that's good. But when you go, I think it can be so toxic because it's like, just pray, you know, prayer fixes everything. And it's like, my goodness, prayer is a tool, just like my Xanax was a tool, but you have to do the dirty work. Are you around people that are constantly, you know, um, bashing you or constantly being negative or being toxic? Are you in an environment that you need to get yourself out of? Are you in a career that's literally just like, you know, you have to go out there and read and educate yourself so you can make the changes that you need in your life. And I had to make a lot of changes and it was really hard. I didn't want to talk to a lot of people because um, I felt like, you know, I'm a nice, caring person and I, I'm, you know, when I love you, I really care about you, but I, you grow up and you realize people don't feel that way and people don't, are not really your friends and, you know, you realize, you know, me growing up, like people would tease me about the way I dressed and, and, you know, now I became kind of like this, like diluted version of myself. And so then going through my depression and a, a bad bout of it, as I like to call it, because I... I struggle with it and so my point without taking any medication is just to kind of find my balance mm -hmm. um, so just making sure I get my rest making sure that I sit down and I look at hey you have a lot on your plate you might not have that person that tells you that so you have to be that person you know mm -hmm. you have to be like your own coach and mentor and say this is what I'm doing this is you know while at the same time balancing um, motherhood and, and talking to your kids about these things because mm -hmm. it is a crisis with kids. They don't have the tools, the person, the, you know, they are feel exposed on social media. They might be being blackmailed on social media. And so you need to, at the dinner table or going to get coffee or ice cream with your kids, say, hey, um, you know, I read this story online and I was like, wow, that's pretty insane. And, you know, how do you think your friends are coping in school right now with social media? Are things being recorded? Are people doing bad things that they shouldn't be doing and being recorded and feel, you know, feeling exposed and vulnerable? And like someone has a video of me making out with this boy that I was making out in the corner. It's like we all had make making out sessions, you know, in school. We did stupid things behind our parents back. And so not I don't want my kids to be weak either because they have to be strong this is not going away and if I'm not making good decisions on my social media or I'm recording myself doing this and that that's inappropriate or if I'm a mom that's partying every weekend and like on my social media not that I'm bashing any parent for partying if that's what they want to do that's perfectly fine but I, and also don't want my kids to think that just because I'm a mom, I don't deserve to go out and have a drink, you know? Mm -hmm. But when you think about your career and when you think about the role model that you're being to your children and my nieces, I have nieces and I want to be the best role model that I can be, but I don't want to be fake. 
I don't want to dilute myself, you know, I want to be myself, I want to be open, I want to, you know, when I first started putting my poetry on, on Instagram, I was worried about, not just about people like, you know, judging my writing, and, and you realize now after I've been doing it for a bit, for a while now, it's been a couple of years now, you're just like, God, I can't believe I ever cared about that. And the important part of inspiration and how inspiration has to find you working. And I think that's like a Picasso quote or a Van Gogh quote, you know, where it's like, yes, inspiration will come, but you have to work. So for me, writing, I used to just write here and there, you know, it was like, I'm so sad today. Somebody broke my heart today. I'm going to cry my eyes out and I'm going to go write, you know, that was a, that was a coincidence because uh, we (laughs) forgot to talk because you did poetry. And I wrote um, three uh, quotes that you did. Okay. Okay, So you want me to read them off to you? Yeah. Okay. This was what you put. Tell me you love me again, my favorite liar. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I was thinking of like, okay, what did she meant by that? (laughs) Tell me you love me again, my favorite liar. And, I, and I, I remember that one and I did like a period at the end of it. So yeah. when, you know what the coolest thing for me about sharing my writing is the interpretation part. That's like been like the funnest thing because I've had people that are like, hey, what did you mean by this? Or I found that really cool. And I was like, God is like, that is the fun thing about being a writer is that it can mean like, something that what inspired you to create the piece is like totally off from what somebody might think and then i have academia friends that are like actually have masters in Uh english and actually work um you know they actually work as a writer like that's what they do they do editing you know Uh and and it's pretty cool and so when i was when i wrote that um it it's it's about loving someone and them telling you you know that they love you but their actions are not showing you you know that they that they do love you but you're seeing that their actions are not matching up to their words mm-hmm. and so it's just I, I my poetry is very short although I do have many long poems mm-hmm. and sometimes I only share a snippet of the poem so let's say I have like four verses and I only share one piece and it's because I want people in this Instagram age where it's like everything has to be like instant. Like nobody wants to read this long old paragraph. Well, some people do. You know, there's people that are like, I've started following a lot of poets and stuff. And they share larger pieces of work. But for like my little audience, that's if I'm the only poet that you read, you know, mm-hmm. it's really short. And it's like, because I, I look at it. I, I, I was like, look, and the other quote you put, there were no walls. The vibes were flowing. Yeah. So, you like, know, it's God, like... Despite thinking about that, I got a little goosebump <laughs> right there. You so, know? when you're thinking about, like, I've built all these walls, you know? I'm sorry to say, but you hear a lot of women saying, posts sharing that, oh, if you can break these walls down. And so, it goes back to that. It's like, there were no walls, you know? We were vibing. We were having a, a good, you know, a good time, a good conversation. There weren't, there weren't any walls, you know? So, that's... Because I like that one because I feel like with me and my girl when we we were together like and we broke up and we got rekindled the fire, there was a we felt like there was a wall but there was no wall, but like 
the vibe was there like the yeah the the love was still there still we were just flowing the vibe and everything the chemistry i i thought about that yeah. that was a good one and the last one um uh what would, what would say let me see which one was it um okay he got the fuck out of long beach and he rarely looks back so that one is um it's about the people that I see um, growing up that have gotten the fuck out of Long Beach because when you grow up in the hood and, and it, it's um I was inspired in part by the boys that live in the hood and getting the fuck out of Long Beach. Well, you're not getting the fuck out of Long Beach from your dad's um, downtown loft, right? You're getting the fuck out of Long Beach from like the north side or the west side or whatever. And when it says he rarely looks back, it's that he's created a home in a whole different city. Um, that when he rarely looks back, it's like your life is there. You rarely look back. You come back once in a while, chill with you know your friends or your homies or your childhood friends, but it's rare, you know. And then you leave and you go back to um, wherever you felt was a better city for you. And and you know, it's like it's it's so short. It's like with my poems, I um sometimes I'm just like God, that was kind of goofy what I wrote. I don't know if anyone's gonna have a fucking clue, but so we were talking about it right my, now. With my writing, it's like I'm writing things that I feel, and no, I'm I'm the artist. No one's gonna tell me what to write, how to feel. I'm letting go of all those shackles of what um, people that have criticized me, and I've put in the work. I have almost I have over six thousand poems now. You know, so if you go to my Instagram, God, I have. I don't know, you know, I, you know, maybe 200. I like know? the, I like the other one you put driving through Ocean Boulevard. Yes. So that was, um, when I was going through a really hard depression, I would drive down Ocean Boulevard two to three times a day and just, I love it. I mean, it's like a movie to me. Every single time that I drive down that street, it's like, my childhood, my dreams, the beach, the ocean, the Queen Mary, the galaxy. I mean, it's like, you know, if I'm driving down Ocean Boulevard and I see somebody, even my kids on their phone, I'm like, can you just enjoy the view, enjoy the scenery? And that I love writing about the city. I love it. Um, and it, it's my muse. It's like, it's my freaking muse. It's I your love heart. It. Long Beach is your heart. It's my heart. And like, I know I do have like the Queen Mary tattoo oh, shit. on my heart. I know. And what's funny is that when I got this piece, I got it. My cousin drew me a Queen Mary and she framed it and everything for me. And so I took that to my artist, to an artist in Port City Tattoo in Long Beach. And I said, hey, can you just a walk in thing? I was like, hey, can you draw something similar to this? Um, but your take on it. And then I want to tattoo it here. And, and, and then like looking back, I realized I put this like, on, you know, on my, the side of my chest where my, my heart's at. And it is, this is before I had a really bad um, depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And then like looking back and just getting little doses of the city and just driving around 
and yeah, manifesting my dreams. It's it's what I did. It's like, what do you want from yourself? And I had no like nobody. I was like cut off most of my friends. I you know I didn't have that. Like I said, I I have a good relationship with my family, but not like where where I can openly talk about just we were still working on that you know with my brothers and and the relationship that i want i was working on having the relationships that i really wanted to have that were real and raw and honest and vulnerable and transparent and not just superficial and not just hey how are you doing and let's sit down and watch something on tv and it's like i was dying you know it's like I was um, having also nocturnal panic attacks, which were really rough on me. And you know, you just wake up in the middle of the night and you're full-blown panic attack mode. And you have to work so hard to just focus on breathing and mm. and driving around the city, listening to music. Um, it was so inspiring and so healing. It's like music is. Um, Music is medicine. You what know? type of music you like? I love uh, rap music. Rap music, hip hop. <laughs> yeah. I you like the, the the rap music now or back yes. then? Yes, I like I like all of it. Um, I just started listening to like whole albums. You know, like I love just music that well, I love the black culture, and I and some of my friends are like. Cause it's just so fucking creative and it hasn't gotten the recognition like that it deserves and mm-hmm. and it's just so awesome i mean and and i'm i guess you could say i'm like a newer fan i've always liked music but now the way that it healed me and that it helped me it's not even about thinking you know it's about sometimes of course i love deep music and i love romantic music like i i love all that of course but for me, it's like, I love like the beat and I love like just, you know, just cruising down like in my car <laughs> and just like, you know, like opening up the sunroof and like lowering my windows down and just having my shades on and just listening to like Gucci Mane. Like, you know, I just, oh, shit. I love that. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, I like, that's my turn up, you know, it's like, I can turn up. I love to dance. Um, and I think also, and it's, it's kind of funny because people that I work, that I used to work with would ask me, what do you, music do you like to listen to? And they are like shocked. Like, I would never think that someone like you, I don't know, like, do I look really fancy or something? I don't know. Right? It's kind of mm-hmm. silly. Like, but then also it goes back to having to dilute myself in my image for my profession. I'm like, what? You like Gucci? But you know, they talk so um you know drugs and and i'm like they, they you know what they're writers they're poets and they write their art form and mm-hmm. then create this music and i know some people are like why do you listen to that shit it's all like you know it's it's like i'm not gonna tell the creatives how to create but i'm gonna like what i'm gonna like and i'm not telling you what to like you can like something else or you can like something with a little more soul to it i like um like like i like indie like new wave like I've always been uh, Depeche Mode. Uh, I always people always tell me like I I don't listen. I used to listen to the Smiths, but not really. But I always mm-hmm. they always I always want to ask someone, 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 <laughs> why is it? Why do Mexicans love Morrissey? I have no idea because I always, I, I'm I trying to figure know, it out. I like I know people that do, but I've I've listened to you know some of their music, 
and I don't know. It's like meaningful, like the way how when Mexicans, when they have music to talk about love or breakups, it was like the Morrissey, I, got, I know what he was going through, like that. You know what, when you connect, that's the whole, like I just um, watched uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Whatever. Oh, that was a good movie. So I okay, I I didn't finish watching it, but I, but you know what? It was about the part of it that I just it's like about creating and connecting, you know, to people, and it's like sometimes music is the only way that people can emotionally connect to something, and I understand the value in that because. I understand like like really deep music like I love black I don't know if you've listened to black like what little brothers the roots no his name that's his artist name is black oh (laughs) yeah but it's okay you know there's nothing wrong being like that I didn't know that because Mm -hmm. I shit. there's a lot of things I don't know you know people expose me to new music it's awesome my little brother is a big music fan um and my my girls the reason why i know some of this new a you know whatever they call it is because of my kids you know they listen to it and i'm like oh like a boogie um he's a, a rap artist from atlanta it's like oh i love it i've been to atlanta twice for work and i did magic city you know it's like so i guess like i connect to like you know this future like you know a drake like yeah i had a good time even though i was just like in my glasses in my work outfit after work mm-hmm. having a good time with my coworkers to experience the dirty south culture i freaking love it you know it's fun it's fun and it's like when people are like that shit is trash or this or that i'm like it's fucking fun it's like you're having a good time they're talking about their life I don't even like to talk to people that that take that, you know, it's like, I'm not going to tell black people how to do their music, dude. It's their music. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to enjoy the art. And I think when people look at it that way, because even black people, like, the only opinions I care about is from a black person. Because going back to racism, it's like, I'm not going to tell, like, rap, it's, it's like, you know, Biggie and Tupac. And it's like, that's beautiful work. I look at it more as like work, you know, poems and writing. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful work and the beats are amazing. Um, and I like the new stuff. And I've been so busy with life that don't criticize me because I don't know this artist or when this album came out. I'm, I'm simply a fan. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's pedantic people. And like pedantic just means that, you know, you know what the fuck I was talking about. But you're like, you know, like the fucking grammar police or like, you know, the, the, um, you think that I'm not a fan because I don't know every lyric to this song. Don't be silly. If you just enjoy it, you're a fan. You know, if we mm-hmm. enjoy baseball, you're a fan in my eyes. You yeah, enjoy yeah. the game. It is impossible for me to know. I can't even tell you who's on the Dodger roster right now. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like so much information to watch a three-hour game three times, a, three or four times a week. It's impossible to enjoy all this album. I'm able to enjoy music more now because I have more time. Like I'm at home and like I'll put on albums. I'll put them on my Apple Music. And then once I'm like cleaning my freaking house, then I put it on, listen to music. And I'm like, I'm really vibing with this album, you know? That's the same thing. Um, when I'm doing overnights and stuff, when I have time, if because I go back and forth, I listen to a lot of podcasts, which is good, like music and podcasts, I just, you know, but when I get to music, I just 
listen to Django and have listen to all my indie music, then have a little hip hop and see what's coming. Like I'm o- I'm always into those eighties, nineties, early two thousand, like hip hop lyrical and everything with Nas, little brothers and stuff. And I don't know if you watched the documentary of the Wu Tang Clan. Oh my gosh. No, I haven't. You have to you have to uh write that down because I think it's a four part series on Showtime. And that Wu Tang that documentary is by far is like whoa. Is it on Netflix? No, like no, it's on Showtime. <laughs> I think okay. you can get Showtime for free for thirty days, but yeah, we don't have to pay anything. Because I don't watch T V oh, yeah. but I have a list of like you know movies that I want to watch that I feel are like I would care about and are impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch the document? I have the time. Did you watch a documentary? I don't know if you have Netflix called uh, 1994. No. About the whole thing where the there's president he was gonna be president and he got assassinated. It's a pretty good documentary. It's it's pretty deep. And I always tell people it's like I tell my 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 husband this too. It's like. He gets frustrated because he's like, babe, you're not into this movie. And I'm like, babe, I get bored so quick. It's like, I don't have the mental, like, you know, bandwidth to, like, boom, that's it. You lost me. I'm very intellectual, very deep, you know? Yeah, it's pretty deep. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Talk to me about the, your photography. Um, so I love, I love photography. Um. And there's a, a couple of big reasons for it. It's it's like I almost have like I want to say like everywhere I go I take photographs. It's kind of weird. I don't know. I, and uh, it's like everything's a photograph, you know. And I love to photograph my family, and I love to photograph our moments. And one of the things that depression takes from you is joy in like the simple things. It's like you're experiencing it, but you're not feeling because you feel numb in. The emotional part of you and there's levels to that and it's important to pay attention to that and be in tune with it but one of the things that um photography gives to me is i can look back to the times where i was really struggling in the dark time and look at my photography and enjoy almost get that joy back that was robbed from you at that time and it also um gives me this outlet to to be creative um and sometimes i just photograph my house you know and just like photograph my dinosaur salt shaker things like that you mm-hmm. know because everything is art everything and in the, it it, it it's important that my kids see me taking the time to write, taking the time to photograph, and I love photographing Long Beach. I mean, I, I tell, I always like, I just want to be out photographing, but, you know, think about the bandwidth that I have and, and what I, you know, having a household, and there just isn't as much time, but I also want to put pressure on myself because I'm, I'm really big on TED Talks. I love watching and listening to TED Talks, and it's just like little 10, 15 minute clips that really bring a lot of value. And it one of the TED Talks that was really impactful was about um, procrastination boost our creativity, but we have to get it done, you know? It's like, you can sit there and just make excuses for why you don't have the time and you know why, but 
I also have to chip away at finding the time to do the things that I do love to do because that's a part of keeping myself and all of us, you know, well balanced. It's like I have to take the time to do my art and I have to take the time to write and I have to take the time to decide which it's I have so many poems at this point. It's about which one am I going to put, you know, mm -hmm. so with my photography, it's like, oh, my God, I'm like, I see so many things that I want to photograph like a pink bug at the Target parking lot a blue truck that I saw parked outside this house like I love so many things it's like ridiculous I love vintage trucks I love some vintage cars I love blue colored things but it has to be a specific shade of blue and I love clouds and I love you know sunsets and I love the ocean and I love just signs like i love liquor store signs and like neon signs and i love neon signs but through instagram i've actually found like cinematic um photography which i didn't know there was a term for it you know i just like these like photographs that are like in the fog in the middle of nowhere and just a gas station or a car and you know i have all i have is an iphone x and people have have DM'd me like I thought you had a camera like no it's just my iPhone X because although I would love to be out there photographing right now with having four children and like I was working it, it's just like it's important that I I have the time to be creative but I also have to understand that I'm putting the work to being like healthy to um, taking care of my family, taking care of myself. And so I'm still finding that balance, you know? Um, I feel like I do have some, you know, vision and people have told me that and people that photograph, I follow photographers in Long Beach and I'm like, oh, I love your work, you know? And they're like, thank you, you know? And, and I know that um, like the the photographers that i follow are photographing long beach either from like just a beautiful but i also started photographing and sharing my photographs because they weren't getting the side of long beach that like i would want to see you know or the little gems that people they're always on their phone or always busy or always moving on to the next thing and it's like just slow down just drive you know enjoy the palm tree enjoy that cute little car right there or enjoy the flowers or I don't know it's just the smallest things go up to Signal Hill and catch Skyline. the sunset you know just just um or just people watch and just like I'm still working through that like so I was at this um like Chinese food spot in the hood over on Anaheim and Obispo and like it's like kind of like famous like oh right there by yeah. Fufilus was it like so, a long yeah. line yeah. so I took a picture it's on my Instagram I took a picture of the the because the, I love the blue seats and it's like I can get so detailed in one photograph and if just one person enjoys it and is like oh I like that picture it makes me happy but um I, at this restaurant there was this like um Asian lady and she was wearing this neon um yellow jacket and she had these like bright pink shoes on and she had this like little like neon pink fanny pack and she was just this little old lady getting her chinese food and i wanted to photograph her so bad i wanted to do a candid shot of her you know but i felt so like 
embarrassed and be like, oh my god, I don't want her to think, is this girl taking a picture of me, you know? So I think that's just a part of something that I'm working um, not being embarrassed to take a picture, you know, when that's a part of like photography, you know, like I love street photography um, and just like the city and, and our people and not just fancy Ocean Boulevard or downtown, but more of who Long Beach really is. And to me, that was in my mind, like I'll never get that image out of my head, you know, I'm like, God, I, I told um, my husband, I was like, I want to photograph her so bad, but I'm so embarrassed, you know, to, to, but I'm working on it. Like I'm verbalizing that I'm embarrassed and I'm working towards like just one day, um, just being gutsy enough to just take a candid picture of people. And I've like, I've like all over LA, you can see smart, small, like art shows of people. Right. And they like, there's one guy was just taking portraits of people and just talking to them for a few minutes. And it's crazy. He's like, yeah, most people say, yeah, you know, most people don't mind. So it's just my thing of like getting over that. Like, I guess that sense that I'm invading someone's People's space, space and that yeah. not everyone feels comfortable being photographed. I, I, I know someone, I met him a couple times. He's a really famous uh, photographer name's Rafa. I'll, I'll tag you on Instagram. Mm -hmm. he, he, I think he, he does photography and all in East LA, captures the moments. Mm -hmm. He's badass. He's like really yeah. well known. He has some of his art at, well, at the LA Museum right there by, um, right there by the, uh, the Union Station. Uh, what's the famous Mexican place? Ol uh, Placito Olvera. I, I think that's it, <laughs> but like we're at the Union Station and what's across Olivera Street. Yeah. Like around that area. He makes some good photography. He just captures a moment of Islos. Yeah, and, and I love. Yeah, I love. Um, something about Long Beach and East LA. I always go back and forth, really? back and forth. I haven't spent like enough time in East East LA, but I love East LA. Like, I love. Um, you know, I love these like um, grittier parts of the cities where that's normal life for people and I don't look down on anybody for mm -hmm. living um, several, you know, a social economic like just differently from me. But I think it's important on Instagram to capture the, the lives of real people in Long Beach and I see sometimes people that are just putting the pretty stuff up there or their life is art too. They might not see it that way and they might have little to no exposure to art. And you see gentrification in some small galleries that are popping, popping up in yeah. these neighborhoods. And it's this position you're put in where, you know, me as a Long Beach native and how much time and bandwidth I have to be a full-time artist etc and how comfortable i feel sharing my art with with that's some a journey i had to work through and i'm going to continue to work through it because it is important that me being an immigrant being bicultural being a woman um being a mother that my perspective is seen because my perspective is going to be different from somebody you know this is my story my vision what i see when i'm out there holding my phone and and i i um 
I have to put it out there. I'm not seeing like what I would want to see or or what I when I go out there and drive down 10th Street or drive down Anaheim and I see all these cool signs I want to photograph and I'm not seeing that. Well, I tell myself, why don't you do it, you know? Or there's certain angles and places where I've seen that I haven't seen a photographer done and I'm like, why don't I do it? So what I did is I just started to write down my photography projects. You know, I put them in my iPhone and I'm like, this is a photography project. And whether I have the um, bandwidth for it now or maybe later, at least it's written down and that's kind of like a first step, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm doing so much and then right now I'm in a position where I'm like to get another job and, you know, job hunting and, you know, spend more time with the baby. And um, it's my, you know, you can have friends and you can have people that you can talk to and, and vent to but at the end of the day I've had to learn the hard way that I need to listen to myself and guide myself and really think about how you know these are the things that are important to me um, and if they really are important to me what show myself that that's what I'm working towards doing and when people say Every time I think of Long Beach, I think of you. Or you remind me so much of Long Beach. It's like, oh my God, you're totally Long Beach. I'm like, good. Because I'm a part of Long Beach. Like, I am just as important. And I want other kids to feel that same way. To feel like, you know, when I was a kid, I feel like I'm, I'm not anything important to this city. And I, that was so far And I don't want, you know, if I can connect with a handful of kids and make them feel like your voice matters, your creativity matters, and if you have a photographic mind and you can't get photography out of your freaking mind, then go out there and photograph signs, photograph the pebbles on the floor, photograph the little drops of water on your neighbor's grass, you know, it's (laughs) like, I mean, because that's what photography is about, it's Mm -hmm. about that love and and I have so many things that I love to do that um, that's just, you know, one part of it. But it's I, it's important that the city is shown and displayed in more than just, you know, one way or... That's awesome. Last question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For all my audience and my listeners, how do you want... How do you want people to remember you as? Um, someone that was not afraid of displaying to the public, literally, their emotions and speaking about um, to feel comfortable verbalizing how you feel and that it made an impact in my my family life you know if me as a mother um who lives you know my whole world is like motherhood but also taking the time to explore my creative my creative side and that that's an important part of your life um and that you know, you do things with peace and kindness and 
true connection with other people. It's like if if people remember me as like, you know, Nero was she just didn't she wasn't like ashamed or or embarrassed about um her life or her upbringing and it helps people find a voice and be okay with who they are and just as a real person you know it's like there's so so much diluted out there and so much fakeness out there um and you know just she was herself and everybody that knows me whether you have me on facebook or instagram or you worked with me or you're a part of my family you know that i don't just shut up and and it's like she's going to voice her opinion and i have to be extremely articulate when it comes to work um, as a woman i have to make sure that i have all my little ducks in a row and i want I, 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 um, I had a friend that, that told me, you know, that's really impactful, like being a Mexican-American woman who wants to do all these things and being an immigrant um, and you're a mother, you know, you're doing all these things. It's like, cool. That's actually what I want people to to remember me by, you know, and mm-hmm. I joke around with my kids and stuff and say things. I'm like, what if something happens to me? You know, I can't help your little old mother around the house a little bit, throw the trash out or... <laughs> But it's just about like that connection and like even if we're not on vacation in some beachy warm beach in Mexico that even if we're just doing our daily family life that there's still connection you Mm -hmm. know that they still feel connected to me as a mother that um, my co-workers my friends the people that know me feel like when I talked to Nera she actually was fucking listening to me and she actually cared I don't have the bandwidth, of course, to like, you know, that's what Instagram gives you that platform to connect with people. But like I've connected with people through Instagram and the person that I am on, it's it's just be real. And of course, people don't want to air their dirty laundry or share the skeletons in their closet or, you know, they look at my poetry and wonder what does she mean by that or or um. It, it's it, I know that's hard to do, but just be more open and transparent and more selective because it's it's good for us and it's what humanity is about. Yeah. And I want to live it and be that, not just on social media look like. I get it. I get it. Whew. This is probably one of the longest. Uh, podcast I episodes. I talk a lot. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Don't say that. I don't see it like that. I This is um, this is very educational, very deep. Um, I learned a lot today. I mean, that's why you probably didn't hear Mega Man that much because <laughs> I like to listen and uh, I was very intrigued and uh, I like to listen because I really... Um, wanted to get to know you i wanted to understand uh a lot of your opinions and everything and uh i'm i'm really i'm really am glad that uh you did my podcast today thank you i appreciate having a platform to express some of these things and like i said if it just helps somebody 
have a little bit of a better relationship with themselves or not feel so ashamed of speaking up about having a hard time with depression and want to follow me and get a little more you know insight on balancing that part of your life yeah that really is like what life's about you know yeah this superficial stuff and this fakeness and as fun as it is sometimes you know do a little filter and throw a selfie up there which because women are art we are art pieces Mm -hmm. but so are men you know um that's awesome i'm glad that i'm not just this diluted person in in this sea of fakeness yeah well thank you so much for doing the podcast do you want anyone to follow you if, if they want to follow me, that's great. They're into poetry, <laughs> and you know they're into. Um, What's your Instagram? Uh, modern Nay. Mm-hmm. You want to do any couple shoutouts before we log off? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is her first time doing a podcast, so bear with me on, and bear with her on it. Well, thank you so much. Um, you can follow me at uh, Megan Man at six nine eight zero, and on Instagram and my podcast instagram page um at the mega man's podcast um you can find my podcast on anchor uh itunes stitcher uh you know spotify the whole nine yards and everything and uh thank you so much for doing the podcast thank you all right we're out mega man's out late